0: Welcome to Alive with Purpose. You are listening to Episode 6, Alive with Purpose and the Practice of No Problem. Hello, I am your host Erin Aquin. I have such a special treat for you guys today. I'm doing my very first interview with Jeff Carrera. And I had so much fun with Jeff recording this podcast that I actually decided to split it into two parts. We talked for an hour and I wanted to really give you guys as much as possible when it came to Jeff and all of the wonderful things he had to say. In today's show, I'm going to ask Jeff some questions about His particular style of meditation, the practice of no problem, it's a beautiful form of meditation. You're going to love it. And I also talked to him a little bit specifically about how that practice can help us in our practical day-to-day life. But I did want to remind you that if you are listening to this episode in March or April of 2018, there's still time to share, review, and rate this on iTunes and enter my contest. This really helps me spread the word, so I would be so grateful if you could do it anytime you're listening to this show. Head over to alivewithpurposecoaching.com and you can get all the information on how to do that, including some great free stuff from Jeff Carrera who you're going to be meeting in just a moment. I'm going to dive right into this interview now and as always thank you so much for listening. I love you guys. Enjoy. So, I am very excited today to have meditation spiritual teacher and a very dear friend of mine, Jeff Carrera, joining me on the podcast. I'm going to let Jeff give you a little bit of his own history with spiritual practice and meditation, but I did want to start by saying that Jeff was there for me during one of the most difficult periods of time in my life, and he helped me make meaning and purpose out of a physical issue that I was having. He stuck with me and really held my hand through some very serious doubt and anxiety. So I am eternally grateful to my dear friend, Jeff, and very excited to share him with all of you. I think you're going to love what we are talking about today. Welcome, Jeff.
1: Hello, Erin. Thank you so much. And uh, uh, I hadn't thought about that particular time period for a long time, but it was, uh, it was a very special time for both of us, uh, and it's great to be here with you. I feel really blessed to be uh, on the podcast, to be able to share with you and, and given the context you just set for the conversation, I suddenly feel even more connected to uh, how profoundly the practice of meditation can support us in life through very challenging times and through the experience of fear and insecurity and anxiety, um, Meditation as a spiritual practice is uniquely adaptable to uh, to that kind of support. So, so I'm really happy to be here.
0: Me too. Thank you so much. I would love maybe if you could share a little bit about your spiritual journey because you started spiritual practice in while you were working like a nine to five job, isn't that right?
1: yeah that's true. Um, I got interested in loosely interested in spirituality when I was in college uh, and but mainly my practice, if I had a practice, was reading spiritual books, which I devoured at an enormous rate and then that continued post graduation when I was working as an engineer uh, and all of that spiritual reading eventually led me to I was living in Boston at the time and I went to a local meditation center and I started to get involved with that practice. You know, eventually one thing led to another and I had some very powerful experiences uh, in a particular tradition with a particular teacher that led me uh, to become part of an intentional community that was largely centered around the practice of meditation. And, And so for 20 years I was able to spend enormous amounts of time in practice in a way that most people don't have the opportunity to. And the fruits of all of that practice uh, led to so much abundance in my life and so much freedom of spirit and mind and heart that uh, I now spend most of my time, all of my time really, sharing the fruits, of the spiritual fruits of my own practice with, with as many people who are who are interested.
0: I know our, our topic today is specifically around the type of meditation that you teach and it's what I practice. It's what I teach other people because I think that what you call the practice of no problem is actually the one of the most accessible forms of meditation that I've ever studied. And I think it, even though you had this really uh, deep connection and you lived in a spiritual community. And as you said, not everybody has the opportunity to go and live and meditate for hours and hours a day. I think what is really special about what you offer in your teaching is that it's so open and accessible, just like you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'd love maybe if you could tell us a little bit about what the practice of no problem is as a technique.
1: So yes, I'd be happy to say a little bit about uh, the practice that I teach. And first, just to say a word to what you said, I spent many years doing enormous amounts of practice and gaining incredible fruits. Um, But I teach in a way that's very accessible to anyone because it's become clear to me that although that was a wonderful luxury and... I'm sure there are things to be gained by that intensity of practice that can't necessarily be experienced in other ways. Uh, the fact is, you know, a, a huge bulk of the benefits of meditation can be experienced by people even with, within f- fairly minimal time periods of practice, if the practice is of the, of the right type and if it's being done in the right context. And so, When I teach what I call the practice of no problem, which is essentially what I practiced for years, it's the articulation of the practice that I did for years that I find most accessible and easiest for people to dive into. There's lots of ways you could talk about it, but this way seems to work best. And the reason I practice it this way is exactly for that reason. It's easy for people to jump right in, to to feel successful, to continue to be successful, and to reap a lot of benefit. Uh, And so the practice is very simple. Essentially, uh, you sit for some specified amount of time, and all you do is not make a problem out of anything that happens. So I often introduce this by doing uh, a short meditation, which essentially works like this. Well, let's just do it. I'm going to say the meditation has begun, and as soon as I say that, all you need to do is not make a problem out of anything, and then we'll sit for a certain amount of time, and I will say the meditation is over. And when I say that, uh, you can simply conclude that nothing went wrong and move on. So that, those are the instructions. When, when the meditation begins, you just don't make a problem out of anything that happens until the meditation ends, and then you conclude that nothing went wrong And move on. So let's just do a short one. So sit comfortably and wait until I begin the meditation. So the meditation has begun. And the meditation has ended. So that was a very short, what I call a five second meditation. And so far in all the years I've been doing that, there is yet to be a person who had a problem. And, uh, and so then I tell people that that's, that's basically the entire meditation instruction. There's nothing else to learn. All you need to do is that for longer and longer periods of time. So, you know, for five seconds, it's easy. But of course, you can imagine if you start doing it for 10 seconds or, I mean, 10 seconds would probably still be pretty easy. 10 minutes gets a little harder. Half an hour is definitely very hard, nearing impossible. Why? Because for 5 seconds your mind doesn't have enough time to start concocting the idea of having a problem just it just starts to get settled and it's over but if you go for 10 minutes or a half hour your mind is going to have plenty of time to start trying to convince you that something's wrong and you know this is the whole the whole essence of what this meditation helps us address and why it relates to anxiety specifically is that we all have a tremendous habit of mind which is the assumption that something's wrong and our minds work very hard, sometimes too hard, sometimes in like hyper overdrive to try to convince us that something's wrong because your mind thinks that's going to help you avoid problems. Of course, in the meantime, what it's actually generating is enormous amounts of fear, insecurity, and anxiety. And so the easiest way to understand the practice of no problem is that it is some specified amount of time in which you are ceasing to pay attention, consciously ceasing to pay attention to all of your mind's attempts to convince you that something's wrong, which means you are consciously abiding in the experience of not having a problem. And if you can do that consistently over time, and it doesn't have to be for enormous amounts of time, but if you can do it consistently, you begin to relax the habit of believing that something's wrong. And that has a tremendous impact on your general experience of well being uh, and in diminishing your sense of anxiety.
0: It's interesting because sometimes when I'm working with people, they'll say, okay, well, it's really easy to sit there and not have a problem, but what happens when I'm engaged in life and there's a lot of problems and there's, you know, my kids are having a temper tantrum and uh, things are going sideways at work. And I, I really like the way that you spoke about that because it's sort of like practicing it in the med- within the meditation. It's, as you said, like loosening the mind to see the possibility that maybe there doesn't need to be a problem, even when there's a lot of stuff going on. You know, mm. maybe there's, there's a, maybe another way of thinking about it.
1: Exactly. Yes. And, you know, even further, if you really think about it, you'll realize that there never is a problem. And it's interesting to think about what it means to have a problem versus, you know, you just said there's a different way to look at it than having a problem, even when there's a lot of things happening. So what is the difference between having a problem versus just having things happening? And the difference is that when we have a problem, we think that whatever's happening shouldn't be happening. We think that there's a way things should be that does not involve whatever it is that's happening. So let's say it's, I know that you have two small children and I know they never do this, but as an example, let's say that one of your cherubs is uh, having a fit at the grocery store. Never happens. No, never. (laughs) And the practice of having no problem doesn't mean pretending that there's nothing happening while your child is having a fit in the grocery store, but it means not relating to it as if it shouldn't be happening as if this is wrong and it represents a problem. It's just a circumstance that may require action, may require you to do things, but it's not a problem that should not be happening. Uh, And the bigger habit that we have that meditation starts to allow us to address is the habit of holding on to some imagined fantasy of the way things should be And then continually comparing the way things are to the way they should be. So what what most of us have learned to do is imagine how life should be in some ideal, perfected form. You know, the job we should have, the relationship we should be in, how our children should be behaving, how healthy and fit we should be, how smart we should be, how attractive we should be, how uh, popular we should be. You know, we have all kinds of ideals And then we look at the way reality is, and we compare it to these ideals, and we believe that that is going to help us manifest those ideals, which to some extent it does, for sure. So I don't want to just throw out the idea of holding ideals. At the same time, our tendency to be obsessive about having our life be ideal, having ourselves be ideal... Generates an enormous amount of pressure, and highlights a perceived gap, which is imaginary, between the way things are and the way things should be, and and the size of that gap is what determines the level of anxiety that we hold. The bigger the gap between what we think, the way we think things should be, versus the way they are, the more anxious, the more insecure, the more fearful that we feel. The more. We experience ourselves as being in lack, in deficiency, unworthy, et cetera, etc., cetera, et cetera. And, of course, that creates a kind of downward spiral that, te- that coming from that state of mind doesn't actually tend to support us to make the best decisions or the m- most beneficial forward progress. So we end up in a downward spiral where our anxiety... And our fears and our insecurities are affecting our perception, which is affecting the quality of our decisions, which is then manifesting circumstances that become even further from the ideal. Uh, and, and we can often end up in very challenging loops.
0: That's so true. And I think, you know, something I notice when my cherubs have their <laughs> fit at the grocery store you know, even even further than that, I sometimes play the part of the caring mother because I want to show that I'm not flustered by whatever's happening. You know, instead, I'm really just internalizing my own thoughts about what this says about me as a person and as a parent and, you know, my my kids, there must be something terribly wrong, <laughs> even though, you know, there, the reality is it's just a toddler doing what a toddler does. Mm-hmm. And it's all part of the developmental process. Mm. I love that. I think it's so good to remember that reality or, or what's, what's happening in front of us, we have options about what we choose to make that mean and how we choose to think about it and feel about it. And that really is what dictates what we do with it mm. and what we create.
1: Absolutely. And... Uh... You know, and I think we all know at this point, I'm guessing, that we've all figured out from our own experience that no matter how, how anxious we get about things, there's nothing about anxiety that helps address the situation. Right. Uh, it just, it's not a helpful emotion. I there's hardly anybody who advocates for more anxiety as a way of relating to life. Uh, it's just a byproduct of a certain kind of perfectionism that most of us... Uh, have been infected with, you know, where it's, like you said, it's very difficult for you to not see yourself as that good mother who doesn't get flustered, you know, because you have an ideal of who you want to be and you're trying to conform yourself to that ideal, which isn't, as I said earlier, it's not a bad thing. It's not like it's a good thing to just want to look like a bad mother. Uh, But that energy is not necessarily helping you deal with the situation in front of you. And and whatever energy you're putting into maintaining the image of being your ideal mother would be liberated to actually infuse the situation if it wasn't wrapped up in that other activity.
0: Right. Yeah, it absolutely removes you from being present to deal with the person having the fit mm. in the most constructive and present way and being curious about you know, if it's something that requires your assistance, if it's just something that you need to let pass, yeah, it's hard to really make a good judgment call because you're so wrapped up in, or because I get so wrapped up in myself.
1: Right, right.
0: So that is the first part of my conversation with Jeff Carrera. I hope that you found that as exciting and intriguing as I did And you can tune in to the show next time where we're going to have part two and we're going to really dive into some interesting things specifically around how he deals with doubt and anxiety in his life. So I hope that you enjoyed it. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And I will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. Take care.